Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pensions Expert podcast. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, delivered its awaited spring statement where he announced the national insurance threshold will be lifted by £3,000 to equalise it with income tax, alongside a commitment to cut the basic rate of income tax from 20 to 19 pence in the pound by 2024. And despite a couple of new details on public sector schemes, remedy costings and a new green bond issuance, pensions were very much absent from Sunak's statement, which seems to have become the norm in recent years. I'm Maria Espadinha, editor at Pensions Expert, and to discuss the spring statement and what was left out of it, I'm joined by Colin Stewart, head of DC Investment at Hymans Robertson, and Charlotte O'Leary, CEO and Executive Director at Pensions for Purpose. Thank you, Colin and Charlotte, for being here with me. I would just start by asking, do you feel that it was a very light uh, statement of pensions and and is that a good thing? Um, Most announcements were about tax and about personal tax, which is not really come into the pensions kind of area. But what analysis do you have from the statement? So initial thoughts on on this would be, I I think the, the range of measures announced today very much focusing on shorter term living standard challenges uh, that we expect, we're starting to see and expect to see persist in the future. This is a response, in my view, to rising cost of living, which is evidenced through rising inflation, which is set to continue to rise for the time being, at least rising energy costs. And and it stands to reason that particularly those that that have not or have less in our society are going to be hit the hardest. So some of these measures, I think, will assist in the short term the question mark whether they go far enough and that's one for political commentators to get into from a pension perspective yeah i think you know slightly disappointing that it's again a it's a focus on the short term for the right reasons probably but i would love to see that go hand in hand with some thinking about what we need to do for the longer term given that i think one of the impacts of what we're seeing just now is is going to be a downward pressure on the level of contributions that members may feel are palatable and to be making towards the longer term savings. So what are, what are we doing or what are we going to do to address that, given that that will have a direct impact on living standards in the future for those individuals? Um, so yeah, I'd say overall a bit disappointed, probably expected to feel disappointed given my uh, interest is in the pensions industry anyway. So slight bias there. But I, I do think short term considerations need to be quickly considered alongside what are we going to do to meet the longer term need as well and that was missing for me. I completely echo what Callum was saying which is you know pension funds being required to have a, a longer term view um, on investment in the round but particularly in, rela- in relation to environmental and social impact and so the government is having to address short term issues like inflation, standards of living, um, costs but ultimately, even the national insurance threshold increase is potentially going to lead to a question mark around national insurance receipts and potentially the pushing back of the state pension age, all of which have quite significant implications. So, yes, I understand the, the pressure and need to review that now, but I think we're just storing up some problems later on down the line when it comes to pensions. One of the consequences, or maybe I'm looking at this in the wrong way, but putting the national insurance 
at par with income tax. It does mean for those in the lower paid kind of regions that are above the um, minimum enrollment threshold, effectively they will have more money to put in their pensions. Is that not correct? Yeah, I think that understanding is correct. I guess the main challenge I would have with that is I think that's sort of scratching around the edges in terms of benefit savings adequacy for, for those members in that situation. You know, fundamentally, the minimum contributions required by law is not at the level uh, the members need to be saving at to deliver a good standard of living in later life. And equally, now is probably not the time, even more so now is not the time to be raising that threshold. So the measures in terms of changing the way that national insurance interacts with the bandings is sort of helpful, but doesn't really address the fundamental issue that we have, that members aren't saving enough, and that now is not probably the right time to ask members to save much more of their own personal take-home pay. A difficulty in um, financial education as well, individuals having to make choices between savings, paying off debt, you know, living costs, and then these longer-term choices, which just behaviourally are very, very difficult to tap into for most individuals. We already have a, a significant problem in terms of a gender gap um, on pensions, particularly around the state pension, and just being able to navigate how to backfill your national insurance contribution is significant enough. So even just some simple changes from the government uh, around educating and being transparent about how you do that would actually help to resolve some of the issues we already have. And among what was announced, there was a couple of details on new costings or relation to McLeod on public sector schemes. There was also announcement on um, a new insurance on green bonds, which will be 10 billion next year. So a specific question for Charlotte. Do you feel that there was a missed opportunity on the government to announce new ESG initiatives? I think it was interesting to see that there were pension schemes that tapped into the first round of um, you know, green bond issuance by the government. And so there has been demand for that. However, I still feel that we're thinking around at the edges to a certain extent because pension schemes still feel, rightly or wrongly, that there's some incompatibility with fiduciary duty. Now, I know Callum and I would both argue that there are not real issues there, but there certainly are perceived barriers that that still need to be addressed. And so, you know, things like reviewing the sort of Law Commission statement from 2014, given that we've seen significant updates on things like TCFD and materiality, would be more meaningful in terms of scaling investment than I think just issuing another green bond. My question would be, is the spring statement the space to do that? Or maybe that requires legislation and be looked at in another kind of area? Obviously, yeah, it does need to be looked at in more detail. But I think there are some overarching issues which we have seen the government try to tackle in terms of disclosures, in terms of, you know, trustees addressing ESG and we've seen problems with mislabeling. And I just think we need greater clarification if we want to see institutional investment ramp up in the way that we need it to. I think that's right, Charlotte. And actually, if you look at the, the way that some of the announcements were framed today, there was, for example, a nod to the fact that the charge cap for DC schemes is being looked at. It would have been helpful, I think, alongside the announcement of issuance of green bonds to say, well, actually, the thinking should go beyond our issuance of green bonds. And actually, one of the, the things that's happening is 
it would have been a nice to announce this. One of the things that's happening is looking at the regulations and guidance around fiduciary duty to enable institutional investors to, to allocate to sustainability uh, in, a, in a more proactive way. And I think Charlotte alluded to this earlier, you know, the decision-making tree should not centre around financial only. I think that's absolutely crucial. And I think certainly the conversations we have with the pensions lawyer community, there's a lot of comfort around that, that actually fiduciary duty is somewhere between financial people and planet. And what balance you strike will depend on the objectives and the the specific beliefs that you have as a, a trustee board or as a governance committee. But I think we could have some helpful regulation and guidance in this area to give trustees and decision makers comfort that they can make decisions in that space. From a consulting perspective, that is absolutely the case that, that those involved can make decisions in that space. I just think, you know, there are at the time very helpful pieces of guidance that are now somewhat out of date um, that require attention. And yeah, it would have been helpful to have alongside the announcement of green bond issuance that there was some activity around driving support from institutional space uh, to invest more heavily, not just in green bonds, but more widely as well to address social and environmental needs that we have. I think just also demonstrating the support from the government throughout the economic system on this particular issue, pension funds just being one component of that. You know, we've obviously seen recently Guy Opperman's comments and some of the sort of backlash around that in terms of the pension fund system being able to change significantly. And I think there's a lot of, you know, finger pointing, there's a lot of the blame game, but in reality, where are the solutions? And I I think we need more transparency around that. And then greater support from the government in terms of how you turn those solutions into something more scalable that's going to enable more schemes to transition, more institutional investors to be able to, to back some of these investments. Um, We certainly work with pension schemes that want to be able to make this sort of change and start to integrate environmental and social impact into their objectives, but just don't feel supported enough by the system to be able to do that. And so it requires significant effort with all the different stakeholders in the chain, Um, whereas with more guidance, I think it would be a much easier transition. Definitely one to keep an eye on. I think another connection that we can make from the budget, even though it's not clear cut at the beginning, is the change in the basic income tax rate from 20% to 19%. That is going to make some changes to pensions tax relief, if I'm not mistaken, Callum, isn't it? I know it's only in 2024, but does this mean that we're going to have some more tinkering in the pensions tax relief arena? Yeah, so it means a lower lowering of the tax rate means less tax relief, doesn't it, into the, the pension? And I think, you know, there's, again, I can't help think of some of the points that Charlotte shared earlier around the need for education around this. You know, I think we're still in a situation where a significant number of DC savers, pension savers, don't fully grasp that the money is invested, let alone the fact that when they make a contribution, which is a deduction from their gross salary, that there's a contribution from the employer as well. And there is also tax national insurance relief on top of that. And actually, in terms of all the investments we can have in the world, saving in your pension, if you can afford to do so against your shorter term needs, is a fantastic investment. You gain a multiple of what you put in to start with in your pension, which can then grow and do good in the world beyond that as well. So yeah, I think we need to do more around education around those points so that many of us can understand. 
I'd echo that. I think you know anything that helps from a tax relief perspective is brilliant, but without the education to help you know manage that investment into the system, I don't see that you're going to get significantly increased contributions. There's a significant impact by investing as early as possible. Grandparents can invest in their grandchildren's pensions, and actually there's then even an additional benefit on top of that because of the, uh, the contributions that they can make without any tax implications. But the thing is, we just don't talk about personal finances. We don't do financial education in schools, and we don't help people as they transition from you know, the education system into the workplace or enough as employers, really, to empower our employees. And so there's a whole chain there that needs to be supported to be able to educate members to make you know, better decisions about their finances. So we talked about what was in the spring statement and what wasn't there and, you know, the needs uh, around that. So if in an ideal world, what would you like to have seen in this spring statement that wasn't there? So for me, it would be twofold. I think on one hand, as we touched on earlier, I would have loved to have seen more indication of wider support for institutional investors to make headway, to allocate capital in a way that can deliver good financial returns longer term but also address some of the social and environmental needs that we have. I mean, arguably, a lot of the measures looking to try and limit the, the full scale of the impact of, on, on living standards in the short term. Another way to address those is to enable institutional investors to flow capital to address some of the underlying issues there as well. And I, I don't think that link was drawn. So that was something I would have liked to have seen. And the other, again, bringing together some of the other points, I think, from a, a pension perspective, I think a lot more needs to be done to emphasise education. When we say improve engagement to mean it with radical solutions in that area, trying to engage members with a, a statement or a paper document is of the past. So we need uh, someone well, well respected in the industry, Richard Butcher, so I'm not going to steal his um, phrase, I'm going to credit Richard with this phrase. Uh, he, he provided a comment that you know, sometimes in the industry, and I fully agree with this, we try to seek to solve some of the challenges through analog means. And what we need is a digital answer in a digital age, ultimately. And that's what I would have liked to have seen much more signaling of the intent to radically change the way that we think about communicating and engaging with the members of pension savings arrangements. Yeah, I think they could have easily drawn a link between the kind of empowering individuals now in terms of living costs, in terms of the inflation squeeze, and are providing digital solutions to put individuals in the driving seat when it comes to their investments, their savings, their mortgage, their debt. And if individuals were able to make decisions based on transparent information on their banking, on their savings, on their pensions, insurance, and they could decide where they channel and funnel money, and they could have behavioral nudges around that, that's the most significant change we could see. So the question mark really is, is that are any of the pension structures that we currently have fit for purpose, given that pension pots and everything financial that sits around an individual should track the individual and not the employer? Indeed. Well, I think that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much, Charlotte and Callum, for joining us. And join us again in two weeks' time. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.